six. So believe it or not, we have only about 25 psalms or so remaining. So we have almost made it to the end, but uh, still have some work to do ahead of us. We'll start with our summary statement. This is a short and simple. Psalm 126 prays for the restoration of Israel in Zion. So go over that again. Psalm 126 prays for the restoration of Israel in Zion. Simple outline for the psalm, two parts, verses 1 to 3, the return from Babylon. Verses 4 to 6, the future return from exile. We'll go over that one more time. Verses 1 to 3, the return from Babylon. Verses 4 to 6, the future return from exile. All right, so we'll go to our observations now. Psalm 126 is an anonymous psalm. You can see the superscription there, a song of degrees. Um, There's no author attribution in the heading or in the text of the psalm. Uh, No musical direction given beyond the term um, song there in the the superscription. There's no specific occasion um, given for this psalm. The beginning of the psalm reflects on the return from Babylon, so obviously we know it's written after that. Um, but that's really about all that we know, uh, a post-exile psalm. Um, psalm 126 is a psalm of ascent, and so that's its primary category or group. Um, the psalms of ascent run from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. So this is the seventh of the 15 psalms of ascent, about halfway through um, that group of psalms. It does have a number of minor elements in it. Um, For instance, it is a Zion psalm, as Zion is mentioned uh, in verse number 1. It is uh, what we might call a thanksgiving or praise psalm, uh, as it is reflecting on God's past deliverances. Uh, It is a petition or prayer psalm, as we have a a direct address prayer that is praying for the uh, restoration of, of Israel. Uh, And also it is prophetic predictive because the psalm is looking forward to a future time uh, that is going to be a greater fulfillment of the return that the return from Babylon was the lesser fulfillment of. Psalm 126 does connect with the other psalms of ascent and there's a number of thematic connections between these psalms we've talked about. Um... Obviously, the restoration of Israel and Zion is, is uh, one of the themes here. The exile theme is, is still present in this psalm. Um, also, this psalm um, brings in harvest imagery in, in reference to the restoration of Israel and, 
And that is something that from here on out in the Psalms of Ascent does appear a few more times. So we get it in Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5, Psalm 128 and verse 3, Psalm 129 and verses 6 and 7, and Psalm 132 and verse 15. So that, that is something of, of shared imagery um, within this group of Psalms. Uh, outside of the Psalms of Ascent, it does connect with other Zion Psalms. Um, particularly, it connects with Psalm 46, as you have reference to water um, and, and Zion. So there is a, a particular connection there. So the poetic features of this psalm um, um, would be related to uh, structure in that there is movement in the psalm. So, uh, and, and I would classify that movement as, as lesser to greater. So it, it uh, opens with a reflection on the past and then it moves to an anticipation of the future. There's also a little bit of repetition in the psalm, and we also have some of that staircase parallelism that we talked about, particularly when you look at the last um, couple of verses. Uh, also, the, the psalm is written as a communal form, so we see a lot of we and us and our and that, that kind of thing in the pronouns. Now, the structure of the psalm itself, when you think about it in the first part, the return from Babylon, and then the second part, the anticipated future return, you realize that actually this psalm, uh, though it's very brief, reflects the post-exile end of the Old Testament. So, you know, you have a few books that are written after the exile and after the return from Babylon in the Old Testament. And those books, um, Nehemiah, um, Malachi, um, uh, First and Second Chronicles, the, those books reflect that idea that though the return uh, from Babylon was promised and it was fulfilled as it was promised, that that is not the full gathering and restoration of Israel and end of exile, which has been prophesied all the way back since Deuteronomy chapter number 30. So this psalm re reflects that structure. Um, the return from Babylon has happened as it was promised to happen, but there's also the realization that that, that full um, gathering has not happened yet, and so that hope is still there in this psalm. And again, it, it just um, fits along with the post-exile books that we have that end the Old Testament. All right, so we'll work our way through this psalm. Six verses, go ahead and read these. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. So verses 1 and 2 give us this opening reflection. So the return from Babylon is described here as being like that of a, like that of a dream. Um, the, and if you think about the destruction of Jerusalem and, and 
um, the, the, the captivity, the being carried away in captivity, uh, like in the book of Lamentations, was very much like a nightmare. Um, but the return from Babylon was very much like a dream. In other words, something almost too good to be true kind of thing. Um, and the return was a restoration of sorts. We also see how that it's, it's mentioned here that it was, a, um, it was a cause of great joy and a cause of great rejoicing. But also when you read like in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, you realize that it was, it was a pretty small percentage of Jews that actually returned to Jerusalem once that was allowed to happen. And not only that, but they never, uh, they ne- they never were during that time, you know, they never regained that independency um, during all of that time, um, but yet they had returned to Jerusalem. They were able to rebuild the temple and, and the wall and, and reestablish the priesthood and, and things like that. Um, so it was a cause of great joy and rejoicing, so much so that it was even noticed by the nations. And we have that word there, it's uh, translated heathen, it's, it's nations, goyim, um, and they acknowledged the God of Israel in their return. And so um, obviously that is echoed in other, from other Psalms like Isaiah or like Psalm 96 verse 10, Psalm 115 and verse 2, Psalm 117 and verse 1 and, and many more besides. And then we get verse 3 which sort of functions like a refrain. Um, it, it's that reflection. The Lord has done great things for us and, and we are glad for it. The Lord has done great things. So even though it wasn't the full return that they were hoping for and still yet looking for. Nevertheless, they are acknowledging that it's, it's a great thing. It's a, it's a wondrous thing um, that God has done in bringing them back from Babylon. And so then we get the turn in the psalm, and that happens in verse number 4, where we now get this direct address prayer. Um, the, the Lord, uh, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. So this, this is a petition for the promised restoration of Israel. And the word that's used here for captivity uh, appears in a number of other places that refer to this prophecy and this promise of this um, future gathering of Israel. So again, it starts back in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse number 30 where this, where this term is used. Um, where it is, where Moses essentially prophesies that they're not going to keep the covenant, no matter how much they have said that they're going to, they're not going to keep the covenant. They're going to end up exiled from the land. They're going to end up in the wilderness of the nations. They're going to end up scattered. They're going to end up under judgment for a long time. Um, but in the in in the latter time, and uh, that is certainly uh, those last days. Latter time is is something that appears in a few different places in the Pentateuch, very strategically. Um, in that latter time, God's going to turn. He's going to be gracious to them. They're going to repent, and he's going to um, regather them. So this promise of restoration, this return from this captivity, um, appears in other psalms, Psalm 14 and verse 7, uh, where it is also a Zion psalm, uh, Psalm 53 and verse 6, Psalm 85 and verse 1. And then outside of there, you have this promise continually echoed throughout the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 14, chapter 30 and verse 3 and verse 18. And these are, and again, these are just places that are also using that same term um, relative to the gathering of Israel, the, the, um, this term for captivity. Uh, Jeremiah 32, verse 33, Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 7, 11, and 26, Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 25, 
Hosea chapter 6 and verse 11, which also uses this term in connection with harvest imagery for that gathering and restoration of Israel. Joel chapter 3 and verse 1, Amos chapter 9 and verse 14, Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 7 and chapter 3 and verse number 20. And again, these are just places from um, the beginning to to the end of the Old Testament, essentially, where these promises of this return from captivity um, are given, and again, both before and, and after the exile to Babylon. Now, there's also a reference here to the, um, to the streams, uh, like the streams, um, hold on a second, yeah, here it is, as the streams in the south. Uh, so we also have this, this reference, um, the uh, Psalm 46, verses 4 and 5, is another Zion psalm. And we also have the, the, the imagery there of the stream that's going to be a blessing as opposed to the chaos of the judgment being compared to like roaring floods and chaotic waters. And this stream that's going to be a blessing um, is associated again with the restoration of Zion. Now, verses 5 and 6 that in the psalm, give us this harvest imagery in relation to the rest, the gathering and the restoration of Israel. And we get sort of this parallelism here, and, and we see, and uh, just put simply, it, just, it, it goes from bad to good, bad, bad to good. So you get tears to joy. Um, so there's, there's sowing in tears, and then there's reaping in joy. Um, and then verse 6 comes in, there's, there's weeping and sowing, and then there's shouts of joy, and reaping. And so the imagery speaks of abundance, speaks of prosperity, speaks of a fullness and an overflowing joy. And the harvest imagery shows us that there's a time of waiting and weeping. So in other words, you compare this with what was said at the beginning of the psalm and that return from Babylon, as sweet as it was and as much rejoicing as it caused, there's still yet a time of weeping and waiting because the exile ultimately continues. The judgment that they are under continues until um, the time of that harvest comes in. So the harvest imagery shows a time of waiting and weeping and, and sort of the, the way that the imagery works. Um, and, and of course, for those that, that farmed and particularly in those times, the leading up to the planting and all this just very hard work farming's very very hard work um and there's there's a lot of patience that's required you don't put the seed in one day and then go back the next day and and get all these wonderful fruits so you've got to wait and there's work that has to be done and plus there's a lot of things you know droughts and um or getting too much rain and fields being flooded can cause problems. There's just so many things and predators and, and, and beasts can get in and devour and insects can eat up. And uh, there's, it's such a long process. And then that harvest finally comes in. And so that's, that's the point of the imagery, that this is the way it is for Israel in their exile. They're, they're weeping, they're waiting, they're, they're sowing. And, and they're not yet enjoying that harvest. And they won't enjoy that harvest until, of course, the uh, Messiah comes and, and they are gathered again. All right, so let's go to our interpretation. So <clears throat> Psalm 126 teaches 
the future gathering and restoration of Israel in Zion. That is the primary message in this psalm. And the harvest imagery that's used here, it's echoed in other psalms, it's echoed in, in the prophets and other places that speaks of the future gathering and restoration of Israel in that way. So I wanted to just, I'm going to read a passage from one place. This is Joel chapter number 2, where we can see some connections. We can see the use of this imagery, and we're also going to see enough to see clearly that this is a reference to the, to the future gathering of Israel. It's also associated with the day of the Lord. So um, we'll just begin here about verse 19. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen or among the nations, the Goyim. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately. And he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And the name of the Lord, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So again, this is just another, another passage using this harvest imagery relative to the gathering and the restoration of um, Israel in, in Zion, uh, the day of the Lord, and, and those judgments that will, will precede that um, gathering. And so this, this psalm um, goes right along in that vein. And the weeping and the waiting shows that Israel, they will go through this, they will endure this exile judgment before that time comes. So the, the point sort of the psalm that they are to wait in hope and they are to desire that future time and essentially it's an assurance that is given to them that that time will come. And so they will sow in tears, but they are going to reap in joy. Now, the messianic hope of this psalm is seen in how that this psalm follows the eschatology of the Old Testament, and particularly that of the post-exile prophets. So before their gathering, there will be weeping, and we can get an echo of that in places like Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. But then there will be joy. In other words, that's, it's going to be followed by that. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 8 and 9 
chapter 35 and verse 10, chapter 51 and verse 11. And this will come when the fallen booth of David is restored. And with passages like Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 15, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 16 to 17, Zechariah chapter 14. So it is the coming of Messiah to Zion is what will turn the captivity of Israel and Judah. And if you go back and look at, I think it's Psalm 14, one of those early, early Zion Psalms, how he talks about how salvation will come out of Zion. And so it's the coming of Messiah to Zion um, that's going to turn the captivity of Israel. And that is what the real hope of this psalm is. And again, we see that um, here as well as in, in other places in the psalms. All right, um, application. Um, two points of application here. Number one. Understanding Psalm 126 helps us understand what our desire should be. So when we think about um, Israel and the writers of this psalm, and and they've experienced a great joy in the return from Babylon, and and they're thankful for that, and they're expressing praise for that. But even though they, they rejoiced in that, they recognize that the greater and the final return with the coming kingdom is their true desire. In, in other words, even though they had received great things, they weren't going to simply rest satisfied with that. They were longing for that greater that God had promised. And so it, it, it really does um, speak to us somewhat as to you think about Jesus talking about seeking first his kingdom, um, praying that his kingdom would come. And we receive every good and every perfect gift, James told us, it does come down to us from above, from God, from the Father of lights. So every gift and every grace that we receive is something to be rejoiced in. But it's, but it's, but it's not the end. In other words, it, it falls short of ultimately that glory that awaits, the, the resurrection, the kingdom of Christ, everlasting life, all, all, of, all of these things that are yet in the future. So even, even though we should thank God for every, every good gift that we receive, no matter how small that it might be, every good gift, every grace that we receive, every mercy um, that we experience. We should thank God for that, but, but we should not let the lesser get ahead of the greater. We shouldn't let these smaller things, and I hate to describe them that way, but just doing so because realizing there's, there's greater that's ahead. There's, uh, we're told in places that, that um, they can't even, the, the glories that await uh, I think it's in Romans chapter 8, Paul talked about how they can't even be compared to the sufferings and the, and the things that we have in this life. So there, there's much greater ahead of us than even good things that we receive in this life. So I guess that's, that's the way I, I, I want to put it. Let's not, we don't want to get things out of order. We don't want to, we don't want to look so much at what we can receive now but what is coming. So that's where our 
true desire is, just, just like what we see in this psalm. Also, number two, understanding Psalm 126 helps us understand the surety of God's promises. And, and we've seen this before in the psalms, but this is a psalm that, that works um, from the past to the future. So looking back on what God has done, and we've, we've got a book filled with things that God has done. We, we have um, our own histories and things that, that God has done in our past, in our families, and, 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 and so on, in our country, and, and many things throughout the history um, you know, that we can look at and see that, that God has certainly blessed and, and given good gifts. And so we've got, a, we've got a lot of that. We can look back. But what this psalm does in particular is look, looks back and said, look, here's a time where God did something that he promised beforehand that he was going to do. And you know what that means? What that means is, is that there are still yet things God has promised he's going to do, but he hasn't done, and he will do them, just like he did that there. So just like he did bring them back, there was a return from Babylon, he will gather and restore them ultimately. And so again, we have promises um, in, in, in Scripture that have not been fulfilled yet, just like the, ret- the return. Um, Jesus said, I, I, will, I will come again. I'll go to the Father, and I will come again and receive you unto myself. Uh, the angels spoke to the, um, to the disciples there in, in, in the early part of the book of Acts and said, this same Jesus will, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. So there's, there's still yet promises that have not been fulfilled his kingdom is not here but it is going to come and so we do have a lot of things to look forward to and we should understand that we we look back to these fulfillments in the past not to not to groan and 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 bemoan the the glory days of the past but to recognize God has done has done good things and has done great things and there are greater that are yet ahead and we can see what he did there and we know that he's going to do all that he has promised. All right, that's um, Psalm 126. Any questions or anything about anything we looked at here this evening? Almost. Um, there are a few places outside of that that refers to, um, I don't remember the reference right off the top of my head, but, but I know there's some where he refers to judgment he's going to send on other nations. Like he's going to send them into, into captivity and sort of things. But as far as like returning from captivity, um, as far as I can think of right now, I, don't, I, I think that's always used in reference to to Israel and, and Judah in the future. What do you mean as far as like... The oh, yes, yes. So the, so the exile, um, like when you read Nehemiah or the end of Second Chronicles, like the realization is, is that the exile's not over. You know, there's been a return 
from Babylon to Jerusalem, and that was promised, and that's been fulfilled that way, but the exile is not actually over. And, and, that's, and that's where we still are today. You know, cause when you look at the, the, like the places where that return from captivity is used um, in Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel, um, the, it's also spoken of in reference of, I will gather them from among all the nations of the earth where I have scattered them. And so they are still yet in that exile, in the wilderness of the nations, um, technically. So that does continue from that, from that time uh, until the return of, of Christ. Right. Right. Oh, well, well, I mean, certainly this is, I mean, you know, this is all God's purpose from before he ever created the world. So, yes, all that, all that goes along. You know, there was a return. So you did have, you did have a presence of Israel um, in the land for, for Christ to come, you know, and the temple was there and you had priests and all those things, right?